and she doesn't have a million followers. Like she has a, a big community, but it's not a million followers and, and neither does Melissa, but they have these super engaged audiences around topics or around kind of their personality. So I think those are two kind of good examples. To- Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. I am Alessandro Sio, a co-founder of the company and with me today, Kaya Yuriev, uh, creator economy reporter at The Information. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That's amazing. I've uh, been reading your new newsletter for a while, as you know. So it's nice that, you know, sometimes we can also just not having someone that, you know, is going to be there and writing about a topic, but actually having, you know, someone on a, on a, on a screen, right, that you can actually engage with because I know that you have so many information, right, about what is happening. You know everything before anyone else. So I think that the people are going to love to hear more about that. But for, first of all, for anyone that doesn't know about you, um, who are you? What is your background? And also, why did you why did you get in the creator economy? Yeah, sure. So I've been a full-time journalist since 2015. Before I joined the information to launch the creator economy newsletter and cover the space, I was at CNN. I actually started way back when as an intern on the TV side. So I worked um, on Jake Tapper and John King's shows. Um, but I came back in 2017 on the digital side to cover tech. And I mostly just covered anything that came my way. I covered some like space stories. I covered, you know, general tech from startups to big companies. Um, but I really was interested in social media and the big tech platforms. Um, so, and I felt kind of, especially the way people were building businesses and followings online was super undercovered at the time. So I had kind of this broad beat of big tech and social media and was covering some creator stories. Um, but I was super excited to join the information last year to really focus on creators um, and cover more the business side of this industry. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess that you know, you know, more than anyone else, what is now the creative economy compared to four years ago, right? When it was like, oh, it's a hobby. And actually now they're making all this money and everything, right? So, um, and this is now this is what you do, right? It's your full time and you mostly spend your time on creator, uh, content creators, uh, platforms, uh, right? That, that is your day, right? Yeah, I kind of think of my coverage in a few buckets. So there's the creators themselves, there's the big tech platforms and how they're competing for creators and making creators more of their business model now. Um, and then kind of everything in between. So the talent agencies, the startups in the space and the infrastructure. So those are kind of the, the three areas I look at most closely. Amazing. And, you know, when it comes to these, so what is your, your approach, right? Because every day, especially nowadays, there is a new app coming out with a new feature or copying other features. Uh, and every week we have like these new communities, like there is a lot going on, right? So first of all, how do you break it through the noise, right? And understand what makes sense to follow or not. And also what is your approach? Do you like uh, look at the feature first and then you connect with content creators uh, or is it vice versa? Like they tell you some tips, like what is your daily, I'd say approach when it comes to new things in the social media industry? Yeah, so I think what I love about writing the newsletter is that you can go super niche on this industry and get into the weeds on certain things. So one random feature might not be a whole story, but it could be a great item for a newsletter and could be a line in the newsletter. So really what I'm trying to do is I I hope this newsletter is really a one-stop shop for everything you need to know that day in the creator economy. As you said, there can be days where there's so much stuff going on. So I really have to decide kind of like, what are the biggest deals? What, you know, what are the things to focus on? Um, 
essentially how the newsletter is set up is we have a kind of original piece of reporting at the top. It's either a column or a mini story um, where we do original reporting and interviews. Um, and then we have different sections. So there's like a deal section. So that will have the features and the deals. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of vetting. Um, I think too, when we're looking at startups to feature our creators, like we really want to make sure that they're doing something unique. Like there's so many platforms that are trying to be a Patreon or, you know, so what is different about this approach or what is, maybe they're, they're, you know, honing in on a niche that hasn't been well served. So I think we're trying to look for the unique angles, especially with creators too. Like I'm always trying to spotlight creators who are growing, but maybe haven't had a lot of press attention or who are building a business in a really interesting way and aren't, you know, their monetization is totally different from kind of the, the normal way people make money. So that's kind of, you know, it is a lot of noise, but I tried to kind of wade through it and figure out kind of what are the top things that people should know today. Makes sense. And so what is like usually your, your routine every, every morning? Like, do you wake up, do you go and check on the news or do you check the email first? Because every person had a different routine there. So what, what is yours? So I wake up really, I wake up at 6am on weekdays and the first, okay, early thing, bird. <laughs> the first thing I do, unfortunately, is check Instagram and see what, what's going on. And then I move to my email. Um, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I do like matcha and tea. So I normally have something like that in the morning. But once I'm situated at my desk, um, okay. I'm normally doing a sweep of the news. So I have a ton of Google alerts set up. Um, I read a lot of newsletters. I go through Twitter. I basically try to figure out if I missed anything overnight or yesterday. Um, every day is a little different because some days I'm writing the newsletter. Some days I'm writing a feature. Some days I have a ton of interviews or meetings. Um, or some days I'm recording a podcast or doing something else. So, you know, some days I block off and it's a writing day and I'm really just focusing on writing, um, on writing the feature or whatever I'm doing. Um, but on the days I'm writing the newsletter, I usually have a pretty good idea going into the day what I'm going to focus on. And then it's a matter of kind of scoping through what's happening. And of course, news can break and things can happen. And I have to throw out the whole top of the newsletter and, and start over when there's big news. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing periodic sweeps during the day. The last one is around like 3 p.m. Eastern before the newsletter goes out in the afternoon to just do a final check that I didn't miss anything important. So never get boring, I guess, right? Uh, every day is different. So I hear you. And uh, this is something that I usually ask, you know, to different reporters and journalists. Uh, uh, do's and don'ts when they pitch it to you. And also if you can share anything that, I, let's say, weird that you received. Like an example for me is like I received in the past emails that the copy was like, I want to be famous. That's it. No. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I want to get famous. I want to become famous. I want to be an influencer that, you know, so not that weird, just a bit like not that most polite email. Yeah. What happened to you? Like, I guess you received many uh, because you cover many things, but, uh, just yeah. quickly, like some of the do's and don'ts for you as a reporter, what do you want to see, what you don't like, and anything really weird that comes to your mind? Oh my gosh, we could do a whole podcast on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> top things. I mean, I think it's very obvious when you're on a generic press list where I'm being blasted with a pitch that probably went to hundreds of other journalists. Um, I kind of think of it similarly as applying to a job where if you submit a generic cover letter everywhere, like it's not going to shine through. So I think when people tailor their pitches and clearly show that they know what my coverage is, like that's more likely to catch my attention. Um, I just get pitches too that are like so far out of my wheelhouse, like medical devices, 
you know, dating apps, which is a little closer, but like, it's really not my area. And obviously I understand PR people have to do outreach for their clients, but I think taking the time to really understand and make sure that the list you're sending it out to is relevant because otherwise your email just kind of goes into the void. Um, a note on follow-ups. So I don't mind when someone does like one, maybe two follow-ups because things do get lost in my email, like hectic things happen. But I had a person once follow up with me nine times over email wow. for, That's a lot. for a person I'd never spoken to in my life. I had never responded to them nine times. And I just had to email okay. them, please remove me from your list. Like this is really, it's just really not the way to go. Um, to your kind of example, I mean, I get so many pitches that butcher my name, like Kayla, Kyla, Mr. Yuriev, hi, Bob, like just like not even close to what <laughs> my name is. So I think just like taking the time to put the correct name, double checking stuff. People send like weird formatting where it's like different fonts and like spacing and just little things like that <laughs> really, I think, don't go in your favor. Um, but last biggest tip is I think just taking the time to reach out to a journalist without a specific ask and just being like, hey, want to introduce myself, want to understand what you're covering and kind of what makes sense. I think that goes a long way rather than just kind of constantly pitching and, and asking for coverage. Totally. Right. Put your like human being relationship type of things before anything else. And then if things are going to go in that direction, you know, they're, they're going to go. Right. So I uh, love that. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, so, so we said that you, uh, you know, uh, you covered the creator economy, but also because of that, also influencer market, right. And social media. And, uh, it changed a lot in, in the past, like three, four years, let's say, right. It is a completely different industry. Right. So, I would like to talk with you about some of the points, right? That I, I don't, I noted down. First of all, like the shift, right? That we have been seeing lately uh, in all these different social media platforms um, from having just friends and family. Like when Instagram started, it was like, hey, follow your friends, right? And what is your family cooking this weekend? Whatever, right? Yeah. To now content creators. There is people that you don't know, right? But you, that you trust in some way or at least you are interested in them, right? So first of all, how this impacted also in what you write about. Did you see anything changes? Uh, are your story having a different narrative because of this shift or, or not really? Yeah, I mean, if we step back even further, like if you think about the MySpace and early Facebook era, like, like you said, it was about connecting with people you knew, your friends. Yeah. And I think even we have to talk about how we share like as millennials and other users, like we would broadcast to a big audience, like before Facebook Messenger or as Facebook Messenger was getting off the ground, like we were writing pretty personal things on each other's walls for oh everyone God. to see, right? <laughs> we were posting an album of a hundred Facebook photos, right? Like yeah. we, things have really shifted now. Like Instagram became this place, like, yes, initially it was for friends and family. You know, initially it was these kind of blurry, cool filters and you wouldn't really post pictures of yourself, but you'd post pictures of friends and random stuff and you weren't concerned about the likes. And then at some point it shifted into becoming this place where you really were sharing a filtered version of yourself and only certain parts of your life or things that may, maybe made your life seem cooler. Um, stories, I think, helped alleviate some of that pressure. Um, but even so, like people still curate their stories. But I think what's different now is today's teens and in general users too, like we really share more in private settings. So we're talking in group chats, we're sharing to like close friends on Instagram or Snapchat where it's not going to your entire list. So that's really then 
put Instagram and Facebook in this position where like, okay, if the feed is more about interests, you know, and TikTok now is rising and that's all about entertainment, this model of the follower graph is really kind of under question. And we saw this with the Instagram test where people were really upset and there was a lot of backlash. I'm like, wait a second, I have all this recommended content. I want to see friends. So I think it's this tough balance now. Um, But at the same time, like we're really not sharing on social media as much as we were before. It's like when we buy a house or go on a cool trip or like have a wedding, like it's these big milestone moments. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think privacy is a big one. People are worried about things, you know, job prospects in the future. Um, But as that shift has happened, like our social feeds are really more about interest and entertainment. It's it's really less social messaging now is really the the way. So that's a, a potentially very positive thing for creators because that's how people are spending their time on social media is really interacting with them. Absolutely. No, I mean, you, you make me open the Pandora base of memories about the feed that you're right. I'm fe- I feel old now. I mean, I am. I'm a millennial. So I, I'm getting to that position where like, I'm thinking about like really posting anything on, on each other's feed. Like you really like, I went to the memory lane for a second and it was like, if you think about it, what it was there and what is now totally two different worlds, right? Uh, now it's more polished. It's more, uh, I mean, with, with TikTok and some other platforms and now be real, we're, we're trying to get it back to that position, right? But absolutely. And uh, also another like thing that I, I think it's also quite important. It is that, and it's, I talked about this in another episode of this season about the big difference of, uh, between having a community and an audience, right? Or, or a big following or a medium following, right? Uh, we saw that. And you also, you also were a Bitcoin, right? You saw what happened with some TikTokers, some YouTubers, like it's different. What do you think and why do you think it's really important nowadays to have a community for a content creator? Yeah, so I'm gonna throw some stats, on, stats to you. So this, this really came out of VidCon where, were you at VidCon this year? Yes, we saw each other. Yes. Um, so it was interesting because VidCon used to be like, you would go to see 10 big YouTubers. Like everyone was excited about these big 10 names. And this year was the first year that really, you know, there was, you know, there were TikTokers there a few years ago, but not to the extent now. Um, So we've just seen like this enormous growth in the creator economy. And after coming back from VidCon, I was really curious to to hear some stats on how many people have big followings now. So um, Social Blade was kind enough to pull some stats for me, but there are about 40,000 accounts on TikTok that have more than a million followers. That's 6,200 more than on YouTube and nearly 16,000 more on Instagram. So as more creators enter this industry, it's more competitive platforms, even TikTok is maturing. So you really need to stand out. So it's one thing to go viral and have these viral hits, um, but creators now really have to consider like going super niche or building a super dedicated community either around themselves or a common interest. Um, I think two good examples that illustrate this on different sides is this woman, Melissa Mullen, who runs an Instagram account called That Cheese Plate. And it's about building elaborate, cool cheese boards. And she shows you step-by-step how to do it. She's, you know, she's written a cookbook now. She does in-person and virtual classes. Um, and that's the business she's built. And you go to her feed and she has this, you know, engaged audience and people are there and they're, they want to build a cheese board. And that's why they're there. Um, then on kind of the other side, you have someone like Tink's who has a very dedicated community. She's more of a general lifestyle. She doesn't really have necessarily a niche. Um, You know, she started with like the mini mic videos Mm -hmm. of saying, you know, what this coffee shop says about you, but she's really expanded into kind of general lifestyle. And she has a super, you know, dedicated audience of Gen Z and millennials. And she's constantly engaging with her community. She's 
answering their DMs and posting it to her story. She's doing regular Ask Me Anything. She has a podcast now where people can call in with dating and life issues. So I think those are kind of two examples of the, and she doesn't have a million followers. Like she has a, a big community, but it's not a million followers and, and neither does Melissa, but they have these super engaged audiences around topics or around kind of their personality. So I think those are two kind of good examples to illustrate that, but it's not enough to just have a million followers anymore. The follower count almost is a little bit irrelevant now. Totally. I mean, like you can blow like, like one time on the for you page. Doesn't mean yeah. that you're an influencer. You're not influencing anyone sometimes. So, and do you think that in the past couple of years on the, in the past year, have you seen also, like you talk with many content creators, right? On a weekly basis, let's say out of like, you know, this hundred percent, like how many do you feel that they, you know, got lucky, let's say, but they don't really know how to manage their potential fame slash revenue streams. And how many, they have all their things together. They have different revenue streams. They have a manager. They have a dedicated bank account. Like, how do you feel that, I mean, not feel, but like, how do you think they are set up as a professional compared to just uh, random people that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I got lucky and, you know, I'm trying to wave on this new new thing. It's such a mix. It's hard to put a percentage on it, but every time I reach out to someone, it, it's like, I have no idea what, what the situation is going to be. Okay. Some people have like a team of all these different people. And some people are like, oh yeah, it's just me. I'm doing it. Like I'm trying to figure it out. I'm scraping together kind of brand deals as I go. Um, I do think people in general though have gotten savvier. I think there is this moment where you go viral on TikTok and some people are like a one hit wonder and kind of don't really go viral again. And other people kind of keep it going, but don't totally know where to go with it. But I think the savvy creators who break through are the ones who are able to at least keep the momentum up. Because there's one thing to, to turn this into a business and build a sustainable you know, monetization operation, but you also have to keep the momentum of your channel going at the same time. And those are almost two different jobs and two different skill sets. Um, so you do see creators, you, I'm amazed. I mean, I've talked to creators who for 10 years have been doing this and don't have a manager. And then I've talked to people who for six months have started going viral on TikTok and have a manager. So it's wildly, it's very wildly different. Wow. It seems to, it's still like in the infancy, right? Sometimes it's still a bit chaotic, yeah. right? Everyone does whatever they want. So like based on that, before we move to, to the next, you know, chapter of this interview, but is there like any myth about either your job or the creator economy that you hear about and maybe people are either confused or they get it wrong? So two things. On my job, I think newsletters are really hard to write and a lot of time and energy and effort goes into it. And I think a lot of people have this idea of like, oh, maybe I'll do a newsletter on the side. Or I was talking to one uh, woman who was a fortune reporter and she moved to Substack full time. And I asked her her advice to people wanting to start a newsletter. And she kind of joked and was like, don't do it. But in seriousness, <laughs> she said, like, start with once a month, because I think the the deadline is really tough. Having that accountability and having a deadline every day or every week or every month that you have to do something is really difficult. So I think like a lot more work goes into newsletters than I think some people might think. On the creator economy more generally, I mean, on a similar vein, I think people really glamorize this business and think that every creator lives in a fancy TikTok collab house in LA and has a Maserati. And it's really not the case. I mean, this is really hard work. It's not taking selfies. It's not filming cute videos. Even a short TikTok video can take hours of editing. It's a time intensive job with very little infrastructure, no benefits like PTO or health insurance, 
many of these creators are small businesses and small media brands employing people. There's a lot that goes into it. There's burnout, there's platform changes, there's just this pressure to always be on. So I think there is, a, you know, a dark and challenging side of this business that, you know, isn't as talked about. I mean, we talk about it more now, but I think people still glamorize, glamorize it a lot. When most of the time YouTubers are like, most of the time I'm editing at night. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they are miserable. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They, 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 uh, that, what you said about either, uh, both the, for the newsletter. Yes. Many people don't feel like they see someone that arises in your newsletter. They don't know all the hours of work research, vetting, yeah. right? Because, oh, nice newsletter. It's some, uh, it's a hobby on the side, you know, nah, that's not the case. And also I do agree when, when, when you say about like, you know, all this grammar, like lifestyle, I think also because there are still a lot of, uh, also like nowadays on TikTok, this quick reach scheme for content creators, like, hey, just make this content, just edit it. Like, it's always like just only, you know, and you're gonna become a new millionaire. No, you have to know so much about one, the topic to research Two, you have to have your own tone of voice. Like there is so much. So I do agree with you totally. It, there is a big myth. So, so thank you for sharing that, especially coming from a reporter that talks with many people. So at least, you know, you know, that is a legit, you know, coming from someone that knows about the industry. So, so getting back to like the environment, like the industry, right? The creator economy has been, has been growing drastically in the past years. We went from like, again, something that was, okay, let's take a look in this to, having platforms got millions in investments. So can you share with us like some numbers, even just like, you know, sort of helicopter view of what is happening in the creator economy also because the information has a database, right? That is exclusive uh, where you track everything that is happening. So I guess you have some top numbers maybe to share. Yeah. I mean, I think what's hard is it's really hard to get good data on this space. I'm sure you struggle with this too. I mean, a lot of the traditional kind of research institutions or sources, they're not tracking this closely. I mean, creator economy wasn't a term two years ago, right? It's just started becoming something that people are paying more attention to, even though, you know, YouTube has been around for so long and YouTubers have been, you know, earning ad revenue since 2007, which is crazy to think wow. about. Um, <laughs> yeah. So part of the reason why we launched um, this database is because I wanted more data on, especially on the startup side. So the way we kind of envisioned it was similar to like a pitch book or crunch base for startup data, but specifically focused on private companies in the creator economy. Um, so, you know, some are bootstrapped and haven't raised venture funding, but many of them have raised funding either through crowdfunding or through venture capitalists or angel investors. Um, to date, we have more than 260 companies in the database. Um, there's information like descriptions, categories, investors, headquarters, that type of stuff. Um, and last year, we tracked funding, too, um, every quarter. And last year, just in the U.S., more than $5 billion was invested in creator economy startups. Um, okay. You know, yeah, so this year, is, this year is a little bit different. I mean, we're obviously in a very different economic situation. We're in yes. a downturn. So we're seeing startup funding across the board decline. And also a lot of these companies raised a lot of money last year and might be in an okay position or they're taking other measures in terms of cost cutting, like layoffs to kind of stave off a needing to raise again. Um, so that's been true of creator economy startups as well. In the second quarter of this year, funding for creator economy startups dropped more than 60% from the same period last year down to less than 700 million. So look, there's still hundreds of millions of dollars going to the space. Um, we've seen especially um, crypto take a hit. There was 
this excitement around Web3 and the creator economy. And, you know, in theory, there is overlap with this ethos of being independent and owning and having more ownership than you that you haven't had on social platforms. Um, but we've seen that really take a hit. Funding for Web3 startups that had creator elements dropped 76% compared to the first quarter of this year. So we're seeing that take a hit. But I think broadly, the most interest from investors is in creator platforms and services. So that's quite a broad category, but that could be a Patreon, that could be like a startup Guestio, which is a service to find and book podcast guests, right? Like there's tons of different kind of platforms um, like this that are kind of looking at different niches. Music is a pretty popular category. Crypto got a lot of buzz last year, but um, not as much this year. So yeah, I guess uh, many pl platforms to facilitate the work, right? To make it easier for content creators. Like, hey, you are a small company. You went from being this person randomly on the internet to having an LLC. So mm -hmm. therefore you want to manage your channels, your stream, revenue streams, right? And so on. So I guess I understand why, right? It, it, there is getting a, and I still believe again, it's the infancy of it. Like there is so much more, right? To do in that. Um, and, uh, and so, is there is there any any other metrics that we didn't uh, on, on that one or that was it like is there anything else there, maybe? There, there is this stat that floats around that the value of the creator economy is a hundred billion dollars, but I don't know what that includes and what it doesn't. So I'm I'm sometimes skeptical of these bigger numbers and what they include and what they don't. Because if you think about it, like Instagram is part of the creator economy, but yes. are their revenues or are their investments in creators getting included in this? It's, it's, it's hard. It's this industry it is. super spread out and has a lot of players. So it is, it is complicated. tossed around a lot. And I mean, as you said before, uh, many of the traditional like VC or like all these databases, they're not looking closely. They don't even know what is the creator economy. Therefore, like there are no data, no public data. Um, and, and also regulations are like getting slower in that, right? As soon as they get something, there is a, a new five different platforms and new social media popping up, right? So yes. it's always this sort of like, you know, never ending, uh, uh, you know, run and trying to get it to that place there. So, um, Fantastic. So we cover like, you know, again, you know, all the faster marketing, creator economy, uh, what is happening in the database and so on. Um, let me ask you instead, because you are always super busy, but do you still find the time to either read something that is not your own newsletter and uh, watch anything? Could be watching either, could be channels online or even just watching in terms of like following on related topics or subcategories of industries. Uh, you know, for, for example, for me, it's like, live commerce and, you know, live shopping. That is something that I'm looking. Is there anything that you are looking closely as of now? Yeah. I mean, in terms of just like reading recommendations. So I really love the sub stack newsletter called Embedded. Um, it's co-authored by Kate Lindsay, who works full time at The Atlantic. And she just always has the pulse on internet culture and kind of what's going on and trends. And I just think she's very smart. She also does um, profiles of people who are very online. And I think what she does is great. Um, zooming out a little bit, the New York Times has this newsletter called The Great Read. And it it's not necessarily creator focused at all, but it highlights one piece, I think every day of long form journalism that they think is worthy of spotlighting. And it's really helped me just kind of find stories that are just super fascinating and well done and just beautiful narrative writing. That's kind of out because I do really live and breathe creator economy. So sometimes it's nice to write about kind of other, read about other topics outside of tech. 
Um, what else? I think that's kind of it. I mean, I I consume so much media. And I, I can imagine so much oh, on what I'm doing, but I do really. I'm a big fan of just like fiction reading. So I I always have a reading goal for myself every year. So last year I read 30 books. The year before that I read 50. I'm trying to do 50 again this year. So I'm at okay. 29. I'm at 29. So I, I need to. Okay. Bit, but so I love I just got back from a beach vacation so I just did some fun beach reads but I do a, a mix of like nonfiction and fiction reading so I try to do that too to like turn my brain off and get away from the screen so yes too especially in this fast-paced environment that every day sometimes you want to just step back a bit you know and be can I read something else that yeah, it's not just this right and just you know um rewire your brain absolutely and is there any um app uh, mm-hmm. or market industry that uh, either either untapped that you think has potential or just something that you are excited about? Yeah, so I'll give you two. So I recently spoke with a YouTuber named Jordan Matter and he started as a photographer and he's since expanded to more of a family-focused channel. But we just did an interview and he pointed out an area that I thought was very smart that was underserved and it's all the people behind the camera. And I totally agree with that because when you look at all of these creator startups, they're all focused on the talent. It's like, hey, creator, here is a marketing startup that you can use, or here's a newsletter startup for you to publish your work. Very few are focused on all the people that make creators' work shine. So whether that's a video editor, a production manager, an assistant. So like he was like, look, a simple solution is a job board that's just specific for <laughs> creators. But he was like, I want a company that can come in and tell me like who I need on my team and refresh my team and look at my business and my career journey and tell me like who I need to hire for that. So I think that was very smart and it is untapped. Like it's, you know, very much is focused on kind of the creator themselves. Um, I think another area that I hear from creators is that they want more ways to connect with other creators. Because I think this can be a super lonely career. And sure, there's events like VidCon or Playlist where you can meet other creators and there's conferences. But I don't know, maybe it's as simple as a Discord server or some sort of like chat app for creators to be able to meet each other. A lot of that's just happening kind of organically where creators make friends online and have maybe small group chats. Uh, But that's something I hear from creators a lot is they want more ways to network with other creators. There's so many questions you have, right? Like, hey, have you heard of this manager? Is this talent agency legit? Like, there's so many things you want as a creator. So I think any sort of forums that could help creators to connect would be super helpful. I think that you just shared a couple of really, really good gems. So if someone out there, you know, it's either a content creator or an entrepreneur, I think they're going to use this, this information at the best, you know. Uh, I, I do agree with both. We, we, need, we need both of them. Absolutely. 100% is the right, I'd say this is the right time also. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Is there any topic that we didn't cover today that you wanted to share? I don't think so. We touched on it a little bit, but I'm also curious just about how platforms can help creators deal with burnout more. I think the incentives, unfortunately, are not aligned here. Platforms, especially the big ones, are ad focused. So they want eyeballs. They're incentivizing people to keep posting, especially on TikTok. Like if you're not on that for you page, like you almost don't exist on TikTok. So I'm super curious whether the big platforms will tackle this in some way or if they'll 
you know, make sure their algorithms aren't punishing people for taking a break. But I'm super curious and if any startup too can handle burnout in any way or tackle mental health for creators because, you know, we've touched on this, but it's a it can be a really taxing job and you don't have a lot of the resources you have in a corporate or more traditional setting. So I'm really interested in that as well because I, you know, I have these really exciting conversations with creators and often at the end I ask them like, do you ever feel burnt out? And it's like, Oh, oh, all the time, you know, but obviously they love what they do and they feel grateful for it. But um, it's, I don't think I've met a creator that hasn't said, oh, I've never been burnt out. Maybe if they're only six months in, but, um, but I think that's another topic too, that I would like to see the platforms talk more about or, or think about how they can serve creators better. And it goes back to the myth of this glamorous life. No, it's, you can easily get in burnout. It's difficult to handle. You have hateful comments, a lot of hours of work every day. Uh, and at the beginning, when it's just you, as you correctly said before, you, have, you wear many hats at the same time. And after a while, it's just normal that your brain is like, okay, that's, that's enough. Just take some time off. And unfortunately, because of the competition, you cannot take them off, right? Because one week outside, like, you know, uh, you know if you leave the platform for one week, the algorithm is going to just, you know, be like, hey, no, you were not here. Someone else is here now. So uh, a, a bit brutal and reality check on that. So I do agree. I think that maybe in time, social media are going to look into that a bit more. Where can people find you online? Yeah. The main channels I use professionally are Twitter and LinkedIn, um, but I'm on virtually every platform. I'm on Be Real. <laughs> um, and of course, the best way to keep up with my work is to sign up for the newsletter or to just keep tabs on my author page, which you can all find on the information. Amazing. Kaya, thank you so much for joining me today. I think that you shared a lot of really good information. At least, you know, people know what is this creator economy, why it's growing, right, so much. And uh, it's also really uh, fantastic to see that finally publications are talking about it in a serious, professional way, right? It's like, it's here, it's growing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay and evolve. So thank you. Thank you so much. This was uh, the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Kaya, thanks so much for joining me. Um, and yeah, see you in the next episode.